You ever felt stuck? You ever fought, felt like you were fighting a battle you couldn't win? Ever felt like you can't even figure out who you're fighting? Have you ever thought that the greatest weapon that you have is the presence of God in your life? The greatest help and ally you can find is in Christ. Last week we talked about we never even made it to the battle because it didn't matter for Joshua. Because what Joshua did before the battle mattered more. But sometimes that's not what God plans. Sometimes God, like Joshua and Jericho and like Jehoshaphat and all the ites that stood outside the kingdom of Israel, sometimes he will short-circuit the fight to prevent us from having to endure it. And then other times, he walks us right to the middle of the battlefield. And I don't know if you know this or not, but you are clearly in the middle of the battlefield right now. I think the problem is, is we have forgot who the enemy is. We're punching each other instead of fighting Satan. We're tearing each other up, thinking about ourselves. We're going to be in the book of Acts this morning. Chapter 16. Starting in verse 25, and we're going to talk about a time when God sent Paul and Silas to prison. You know, they get arrested, and then they're beaten, and then they're thrown in jail. And the first thing that comes out of them when they have an opportunity, and we'll talk about the timing in a minute, but the first thing that comes out of these guys, now hold on, wrongly accused, beaten, jailed. And you know, even when they're jailed, that wasn't the end of their torture because it says in the Word that they were put in stocks. That would have meant that they would have had a rod between their legs, between their ankles, connected to two shackles, and they would have stretched them. And it was adjustable based on, they'd make them as uncomfortable as they could possibly make them. They'd leave them in a position that wasn't comfortable for the whole duration of their stay. So they were under an incredible amount of pressure. They were being squeezed. And you know what came out of them? Songs of praise and joy. Now, I don't want you to say anything out loud this morning. This sometimes used to happen in my classroom. I'd ask one of these rhetorical questions, and some kid would raise his hand and go, I go, you're not supposed to say anything. We're all fighting something. No, each and every person in this room is fighting something. And I'm going to guess more than just one of us feels like that they're losing this morning. That's what the enemy loves to do, by the way. 
love to change your focus. Get you thinking about the wrong things. I get it. But sometimes God puts us in these situations because people need to see what comes out of us when we get squeezed. There's no irony that a lot of the times when Jesus had his moments when he wept blood, he was in an olive grove. A place where they would have squeezed the olives to produce oil. You know, the book of Isaiah talks that he is crushed for our iniquity. When Christ was put on the cross and he was crushed for us, grace and mercy came out of him. Redemption came out of him. Salvation came out of him. I find that incredibly telling because, let's be honest, I don't have any power. I don't have any real authority. I'm just a guy that puts his pants on one leg at a time like everybody else does. But heaven help me if you gave me power. Jesus had all of heaven at his disposal. The armies of the king. Unlimited power. So much power that with a single word he could have undone it all. Three words he broke sin and death. He said, It is finished. But when he hung there on that cross, he stayed. Take yourself down, said the thief. Come on. If you really are Jesus, pull yourself down off that place. Demonstrate your power. Paul and Silas could have prayed to be pulled out of that jail. They prayed for God's will. And you know where it left them? In the prison. Your prayer for God's will may not take you out of the battle. It may leave you in it. Jesus stayed on the cross because that's where we needed him to be. This jailer and his family's eternal future hung on the fact that Paul and Silas stayed in that. So the battle that you feel like you are fighting and losing today may not be what you think it is. But you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that everyone in this room, when we respond to struggle and pressure, worship always comes out of us, doesn't it? It doesn't. I'd like to say it's just a Paul problem. That this is just something Paul's got to deal with. That we'll listen and maybe we'll share this with somebody else, but what you do before the battle matters. Because what Paul and Silas do in their struggle wasn't formed in the struggle. It was built long before they were ever imprisoned. If you think that your plan can be hatched in the heat of battle, you're headed for defeat. You know, I always ask this question of kids, whether it was in sports or in my classroom. I'd always say, practice makes perfect, doesn't it? And some kid would always say yes, and I said, you're wrong. Practice makes permanence. 
If you practice the thing you want to do incorrectly, you'll just learn it incorrectly. So it's not just about doing stuff. It's about doing the right things. And it's not about doing good things. It's about doing God things. And you don't wait till the battle to figure this stuff out. I don't know if you know this or not. This is all, whenever I go back to this passage of scripture, I'm always pulled back to the cool little detail about why Paul and Silas are thrown in prison here. It'd be easy to say it was for preaching the gospel or because of their missionary work, but it wasn't actually. It's because Paul cast a demon out of a young woman. And this woman had the power of divination, where she had a spirit of the python, is what they would say. She could see the future. The spirit of the enemy that was in her could see the future. And she was following Paul and Silas around and confessing who they were. These guys are men of God and they speak the truth and this is about heaven. You know, even the angels, we know they believe, but so do the demons. They recognize Jesus. They recognize his authority. And so after a moment or a day or so of this woman following Paul and Silas around and kind of preaching behind them and echoing, Paul realized something. She was getting all the attention. God was getting none. And Paul turned around and he said, power of Jesus Christ, you're dumb. Spirit left her, woman sat at his feet. The men that used her gift to make money by fortune telling were angry at Paul and Silas. Because they didn't care about this woman's freedom. They cared about their economic situation. So they got mad. And they accused them of all kinds of stuff to force the authorities to do something about it. What's interesting is in the Greek, the word for casting out the demon and destroying their money is the same word. He broke their financial pipeline. He broke what was most important to them. So they get beaten, imprisoned, and in the first opportunity, they don't complain. I wish I could say that's the truth of God's people. I look at social media and I look and sometimes they are the ones that are complaining the loudest about the things, to be quite honest with you, that are of no consequence when it comes to the kingdom of God. They decided at midnight that it was a great time. Midnight. I'm usually asleep by midnight 
or I'm awake for the second time helping one of my kids try to go back to sleep at midnight. But the timing's important, folks. Now, Paul went all day. It was probably the evening when he cast that demon out of the woman. And then there was all the social unrest that came with that. And then there was the arrest. And then there were probably several hours of them being beaten. And then there was probably a few hours of them getting locked up in stocks and thrown in the prison and getting all the paperwork ready, right? Because, heaven forbid, can't, can't do it without the right paperwork. You can't just beat somebody in jail unless you fill out the paperwork. So by the time all this happened, it probably would have been about midnight. The first opportunity Paul and Silas had, they worshipped. First thing they did was not to say why. Why would not have helped them at all. Why never helps you figure anything out, you know that? One thing, it never makes you feel any better. You can know exactly why something happens and it won't make you feel any better. If I put my hand out and you smash it as hard as you can with a hammer, and I, and I why'd you do that? And you say, I thought I saw a spider on your hand. Well, I may know why you did it, but my hand still is hurting. The more important question is who? Who's going to help you? Who do you represent? Who's going to make a difference? Who is such a more powerful question than why is? Why is disinformation? Who realigns your thinking? Who's a worship question? Why is an us question? I'm not going to lie. I probably wouldn't have made it through the meetings. <laughs> but if I would have and I would have got in there, I'm pretty sure the first question that wouldn't have come out of me would have been who, it probably would have been why. Why in the world is this happening to me? Why am I here? I love this one. What did I do to deserve this? You see, Paul and Silas understand something. They understand the nature of battles, but more importantly, they also understand something about victory. They could see what the real battle was about. How many times do we exhaust ourselves fighting the battle, looking for the wrong winning? Looking for the wrong win condition. We exhaust ourselves in the battle over the wrong things. The battle was not about prison or the people that jailed them. Listen carefully to this. The real struggle for Paul and Silas had nothing to do with their circumstance. The real struggle is about where they were going to keep their focus. That's the real battle. It has nothing to do with the other stuff. 
has everything to do with our focus. You know, we often chastise Peter for having a lack of faith and sinking in the water. But if I remember correctly, he was the only guy that threw his leg over the side of the boat. He threw his leg over the side. He stepped out there. He walked on water because of the presence of God. He defied the laws of physics because the guy who made physics and water was there with him and said, eh, we can just make it. We'll just ignore that for a little bit. But when he took his eyes off, he sank. Peter's battle was not against the water. Peter's battle was struggle of focus. That's the Christian's battle. It's the battle of focus. And nothing helps you focus more quickly and more intently than worship. Fall in silence, guys. You can think of any story. Jesus' attention when he hung on the cross could have turned to those around him that were crucifying, but his focus stayed on the will of the Father. And that's what kept him there. Our struggle is always about focus. Let's take a look at verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. First step in success in battle, inviting God into the struggle. That's what their worship did. It opened the door. Forget the iron bars that are in front of them. Their worship opened that door and invited Jesus, invited God into their struggle. Where does my strong help come from? It comes from the Lord. Here's what inviting God into the battle does for you. It helps you see what the struggle is really about. It's really easy for our focus to turn inward on ourselves. And then we think the battle we're fighting is about us and about our condition and about our situation. The other thing that it helps us do is it helps us see who the struggle is really about. It helps us see what we're supposed to be doing in the middle of this struggle. The other thing that it does for us too, and this is supremely important, resets our focus. I've never heard somebody praising God having us time to ask why. Hard to. It's hard to be about you when you're singing about God. It's hard to be about your circumstance when you're thinking about the will of the Father. It resets your focus. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, verse 26, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. You know, the second thing that happens when we invite God into a situation is, He shows up. Isn't that awesome? He shows up. You ask Him to show up, and He will. Every time. Every time. But you know, there's a risk that you run. There's a couple risks you run. If you don't invite God into the battle, you might think 
God moving is about you. You know, God moved, shook that prison, freed the prisoner, opened the doors, and it had nothing to do with Paul and Silas. God shows up and moves in your life, there's a strong possibility it has nothing to do with you and everything about what God wants to do through you. You see, when you forget to invite God in, when you forget to keep your focus on Him during the struggle, it's easy again for that to become about us. And then God shows up, He shakes the prison of your life, opens the door, you walk out, you miss the whole reason why you were supposed to be there in the first place. Imagine how many times Jesus could have done it his way. How many times could he have done it? Any time he wanted to, but he was the Father's way every time. We also risk missing the big picture. The freedom. Israel couldn't understand this. They couldn't see big picture with Jesus. You know, Jesus showed up and he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. And I think they heard the kingdom of Israel is at hand. Because every question that was asked of him, even his disciples, at the end, they were like, how about the kingdom? You going to build it now? All right, you beat the grave. You said you had to do that. Tear the temple down in three days and build it back again. That done. What about us? What about our kingdom? Is it time for that now? And Jesus, every time somebody would ask that, he would say, you're thinking so small. Think bigger. Think kingdom thoughts. They're so much bigger than the ones that we naturally have in our own head. Think bigger. You see, Paul and Silas could have had narrow thinking, narrow vision, and seen themselves exclusively. They would have missed what God was actually trying to do with them. But their worship helped connect them to God, and they were thinking bigger. Imagine how everything that revolves around you changes when you Get rid of the small thinking that's us and you start thinking big kingdom thoughts. Imagine how everything that orbits around you now has a whole different purpose, a whole different reason for being. And you have a whole different reason for being. Think bigger. Verse 27 says, And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword. And would have killed himself. Supposedly the prisoners had been fled. Paul and Silas leave. The jailer dies. Paul and Silas leave. The jailer dies. If the earthquake was about Paul and Silas's freedom, then the jailer stays a slave for eternity. Think about the difference for a second between what God sees and what the world sees. The world says, jailer in control, 
Paul and Silas prisoners. God sees Paul and Silas free. The jailer of slave. Slave to his sin. A slave to a life eternally set apart from God. Paul and Silas don't see like God and don't see big picture if they don't invite him in. If they're not worshiping him during the battle. It doesn't happen. Think about that for a second. The world says this is in control. You know how many people I've had come to me and they say, you know, I love everything about it, but I have to give up so much for Jesus. That's what the world wants them to think, right? That the world is freedom and that Jesus is rules and regulation. When in reality, the world makes you a slave to it. And Jesus frees you from it. Big picture. It's kingdom thinking. It doesn't happen unless you invite God in. It doesn't happen unless you stay focused on him. Verse 28 says, But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm. For we are all here. The other reason Paul and Silas were here, they weren't there to save the jailer. That's a Jesus job. But they were there to provide the very first word of true comfort that that jailer had ever heard. Don't hurt yourself. Now, he was literally thinking about taking his own life because if you follow the text in Greek, they were taken to the innermost part of the jail. And this jailer was given the specific job of these guys are important. If something bad happens to them, it's on you. And he knew that. So he assumed with all the doors open that even if somehow Paul and Silas were there, but everybody else got away, it probably still meant somebody was going to relieve him of his life, for his failure. And Paul gave him the first word of true comfort he'd ever heard in his life. Because when he said, don't take your own life, I truly believe Paul just wasn't talking about now. I think Paul was saying, hey, the life you have been living has been killing you. Stop being self-destructive. Stop thinking about always trying to end this struggle. Stop. Why? We are all here. Be so easy to go, oh, isn't it remarkable that all the prisoners were there? No, 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 no. He said we, all of us. He didn't just have a mouse in his pocket. He was saying, I'm here. Silas is here. Bob, Steve, Carl, Jeff, Mo, Larry, Pearl, whoever else is in here, but all of us are here. God. The Son. The Holy Spirit. Paul invited them in. All present. Paul was like, everybody that needs to be here is here. See, you're the living embodiment of the resurrection. You should be the presence of God wherever you go. So maybe you're sent to 
be the presence in the place where God wants you. But you walk out prematurely. You short-circuit that. Paul and Silas walk out. They take the comfort with them. Sure, he keeps his life for a while. Because ultimately he would lose it. Think about that next time you feel stuck. Maybe you're not actually stuck at all. Maybe you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Think about that next time you feel like you're losing. Paul said, more than conquerors. More than conquerors. That it's not just about how the world sees winning and losing. How God sees it. Maybe you're exactly where you're supposed to be. In the circumstance you're supposed to be in. And maybe you feel like you're losing because you're looking at the wrong battle. But I also don't want to forget that all the prisoners were affected by this. The plan is for the jailer. But God's goodness benefits everybody. God's presence benefits everybody. It benefited every prisoner in that jail cell. Jesus said the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. When you take the presence of God with you as the living embodiment of the resurrection into the places where God wants you to take it, the goodness that lives in you benefits everyone around you. But you think about you exclusively, your freedom, your comfort, you benefit no one. No one except for maybe yourself. And for a season at best. The goodness of God affects everybody. I think that that's powerful. Verse 29 says, Then he called for a light, and sprang in and came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas. You know, we struggle with messaging in this current culture. It seems like people are rejecting Jesus. And it seems like they're rejecting the gospel. I'm going to go out on a limb this morning and say something that people might not want to hear. I don't think they're rejecting Jesus. I think they're rejecting us. And I think the reason why they're rejecting us is because we're not delivering it the way that Paul and Silas did here to the jailer. The grace of God is hard to resist when you offer it the way that Paul and Silas did. Jailer takes his life without Christ. Worst case scenario here. Think about the other one for a second. What if he doesn't take his own life? But Paul and Silas still walk out. He lives his life with a picture of Jesus as me first, you second. You see, I think that's the rub. The church for the longest time become about us, not about them. 
become about us first, them second. God's grace doesn't manifest itself in you first, them second. God's grace truly manifests itself when we're second, he's first. When we have a servant's heart. You know what else this tells me too when Paul said, hey, it's okay, we're here. And then he brought that light in so he could truly see. By the way, light makes all the difference, doesn't it? You really want to see in the darkness, you better have the light with you. They didn't leave because they didn't fear the jail. That's, as the kids would say today, that's big brain. That's big Jesus brain thinking right there. They didn't get up and walk out because they didn't fear the jail. They didn't fear the jailer. They didn't fear the accusers. They didn't fear Rome. They didn't fear the government. They didn't fear the townspeople. They weren't afraid. Your fight is in surrender, not in struggle. Paul and Silas resigned themselves to the will of God in this place, and they were surrendered. And when they surrendered to the will of God, fear left. So was anything freed out of that prison cell? Absolutely one. Sin and shame and fear walked right out of that prison. They weren't being held anymore. You see, the world, when we think and see like the world, we like to hold on to those things. But when Jesus sets you free, they leave. Fear doesn't have a place anymore. Your fight is in surrender, not in struggle. That's the focus piece. It's not how hard you can fight back, it's how much can you surrender and how much can you let God fight for you. That's the real struggle here. That's the real battle for the Christian. Surrender. Me second, him first. God's grace to others above me. That's, it's a struggle. And I say that honestly, not from up here with one person pointing down, but as somebody who's in the same group as everybody in this room. The struggle is always putting us second, putting me second. But that's where the real battle is. God took care of everything else in that prison. When Paul and Silas surrendered themselves and invited God in, he took care of everything. Verse 33 says, And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. There's another little thing buried in there too. When the jailer surrendered, it produced service. He washed them. He took care of them. Because again, service can't be about you. It's about the other person. 
washing somebody's feet. You can never get confused if that's about you. Washing somebody's feet will quickly remind you that it ain't about you. I can't help thinking about my own feet right now. I'm like, nope. Well, terrible for whoever gets that job. Hopefully no one. I'm pretty good at washing them in the shower right now, so we'll just keep it there. But It's going to produce service. Your surrender is going to produce service. So Jesus comes in, you surrender, produces service. This is kingdom thinking, kingdom logic. And then you start to see big picture because instead of seeing you, you see everybody else. You see everybody else except for you. When I was on staff at Fruit Cove, there was a deacon. Loved him to death. He was crazy as a bed bug, but loved him to death. He had retired from Goodyear <laughs> after years and years and years. And he'd been home about two or three years, and his wife finally said, you're going to have to go get a job. You're driving me crazy. He had never done anything but work his whole life, so free time was killing her. Just for a little while, part-time, something, out of the house. So he went and got a job at Advance Auto. Putting windshield wipers on, putting batteries in people's car for people, helping them look parts up, and he loved it. Loved every minute of it. But he always used to say, you know, I just, boy, I wish God would send more people to me to help. I got all this time. And he said, I prayed for years that God would send people to me to help. And it always seemed like it was a trickle. Maybe a little at times, but it just never seemed to match the amount of time that I have and my desire to want to help people. And then one afternoon I was sitting and talking with him and he said, you know, I realized last five or six years I've had my prayer wrong. I've been asking for the wrong thing. God wouldn't have allowed me to retire, sent me out of the house, gave me that job in advance auto if I wasn't where he wanted me and there weren't already people there for me to help. And he said it was a focus thing. I'd been thinking about me. He said, it sounded like service. It sounded like I really want to help people, but God send people to me. What's the last part of that sentence? Me. Send them to me. It was still about him. Boy, we can really trick ourselves sometimes, can't we? Sometimes it takes the prison to remind us. Sometimes it takes the struggle to remind us. But he says, you know, I decided that maybe I'm thinking about this wrong. Can I pray this prayer without me in it at all? So this is what his prayer became. God, help me see the people that you have put in front of me every day that I can help. It sounds almost like the same prayer. But the focus shifted from him to them. And he said, I never have had a free moment again 
the gospel conversations, the people getting saved in the parking lot, the people that started showing up at church. I didn't know what to do. He said, I started keeping a case of Bibles in the trunk of my car. And I'd go out and fill my pockets with them so that I had them when I was helping somebody, putting wipers on them. That conversation would get there. He said, I'm handing Bibles out all day long to people now. Because I stopped wanting to see it like me, and I started wanting to see it like God. Paul and Silas saw it like God. Verse 34 says, And when he brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Wonderful way to end the story, isn't it? Because it even wasn't just about the jailer. It was about the jailer and his whole family being freed that day. Kingdom thinking is big, y'all. Us thinking is small. But here's a question I've always asked myself, and this is where we'll end this morning. Have you ever asked yourself this question? This is the kind of, this is the kind of question that I ask myself. The jailer walks into his house. Hey, I'd like y'all to meet two beat prisoners. He's the jailer. The last thing he should be doing is bringing home the prisoners. Why did his family listen? You ever thought that? Oh, man. We knew he was under pressure, but Dad finally cracked. He's bringing home the prisoners now. And not just like, can you imagine what kind of ragamuffins they look like? Beat for several hours the day before. Been through an earthquake. I bet you they were not in their Sunday best. I bet you they might have stunk a little bit. Covered in crusted blood. Probably quite disgusting, to be honest with you. And he goes, come on, get the water out. We got to wash these guys up. We gotta clean these guys up. You ever ask yourself who in their right mind listens to that kind of crazy? It's easy. I'm sure when they walked in, they saw the jailer, their father, their brother, their sister, their husband as freer than he had ever been in his whole life. I bet you when he walked in, he was light as a feather. The care and the concern. I'm sure that there were lots of times he came home in the past and the pressure of the job and what he had to do had worn on him. And the last thing on his mind was comfort for everybody else. It was probably comfort for himself. Come home. Where's my dinner? I want to sit down. I need a rest for a minute. Turn the TV on. I just need to keep the kids from screaming for a minute. Just, I need some me time. This guy walks in and goes, let's take care of these two. By Rome standards, by that city standard, let's take care of this trash for a second. 
And I bet you they were like, ooh, 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 ooh. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with my husband? Really the question is, what's right with him? It's called his relationship with God. That's what's right with him. You show people what's right with you. You don't have to worry about what's wrong with them. That's a powerful lesson. It affected the jailer's whole family. And you know what? Paul and Silas still ended up free. But the irony being they were ever they were never actually prisoners. Think about your struggles and your fights. Think about your battles. Think about could they be about something more? Could they be bigger than what I'm seeing right now? Big thinking. Kingdom thinking. Invite God in. And then when you're on the other side of that prison, when you're, you're on the other side of that struggle, keep worshiping. So like Joshua, you worship before the battle. Like Paul and Silas, you worship through the battle. And like the jailer, you worship in freedom. So there should never be a time when the Christian isn't worshiping God. If you tie your worship to your circumstance, it will not work for you.